Hello and welcome to Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 9, Volunteers, from 1985. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us to talk about this very strange movie that <laughs> grew on me and then whatever the opposite of grew on me is, as time went on, <laughs> it fell off of you. <laughs> It fell off me. It grew on me, then fell off of me. With us, I think he's making his Hanks for the Memories debut. He was on a cruise club, so he's been part of the Tom Tom Club before. He's been on another podcast here on the network. But we have today, from Numlock News, Mr. Walt Hickey. Hello, Walt. Hello. How's it going, y'all? Glad to have you here to talk about Volunteers, a movie that is set in 1962, which I realized halfway through. Like, this movie <laughs> opens with a JFK speech, and I was like, all right, bold choice. Well, but then there's yeah. like a, a TV montage of 1962 so like and I, had to, I don't know I knew it was the 60s I couldn't pinpoint the year until John Candy said it I think but yeah I know because I figured it was probably back in the day but also I didn't know and then he's like what do you expect it's 1962 or something like that I was just like oh okay <laughs> It's always helpful when a movie does that. <laughs> yeah, it's again like Americans going to Southeast Asia. You want to be a hundred and fifty percent sure of when this is going down because the messages can be a little bit different. But uh, yeah, I thought it was great. So the funniest thing about this movie, before we get into whether we liked it or didn't like it and all that sort of fun stuff, was that this guy who was the head of the Peace Corps read the script for this movie and was like, "This is terrible." He said, "Actually, hold on, I want to get the exact quote because it's wonderful." He said, "It's like spitting on the American." flag. Whoa. Who said that? Which which head of the Peace Corps? It was former Peace Corps director Robert Sergeant Sarge Shriver Jr. Wait, so that's Sergeant Shriver. That's like, he's married into the Kennedys. That's Maria Shriver's father, I think, right? Oh, <laughs> like... okay. Oh, that makes sense. So he, he wanted three things changed. He wanted, instead of Thailand, he wanted to be Burma because the Peace Corps has never been to Burma. And I guess they could be like, well, this never happened, whatever. Number two, <laughs> don't say CIA and the Peace Corps in the same breath. And Whoa. then number three, <laughs> don't call it the Peace Corps. And the movie was like, cool, we're doing none of those things. Release the movie as it was. And then the Peace Corps said, all right. And they still endorsed it. Like, what? I don't understand. I don't understand. It's bananas they're just like none of this can happen this is all going to make us look terrible and then they did it anyway they're like yeah here you know, join the peace corps <laughs> reagan man yeah i guess they'll take whatever they can get at the end of the day right like a uh, 90 minute commercial for the peace corps whatever <laughs> it is interesting i don't know what to make of this movie i guess well let's start here did you like this movie i enjoyed portions of it and detested other portions of it okay Again, like, I really love different parts of it. I really, like, I think that, again, like, as every movie in the 80s can attest, some stuff just doesn't hold up that well anymore. I would say, in general, I was very glad that I watched it. This feels like a very important movie for a lot of people. Most importantly, it's the one that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson fell in love making. I'm extremely specifically referring to that, yeah. I mean, they had met before on an episode of Bosom Buddies, but I think they both were dating other people at the time. Here, they meet again, they rekindle that romance, and then they get married, I think, a couple years later. So this is a very important important film in the uh, scope of Hanks for the Memories, even though I think ultimately at the end of the day, Mike, we're not going to really remember this movie as anything other than that movie with Rita Wilson. I used to watch this movie as like a kid. It was on a lot when I was a little kid. Really? Yeah, you know, like 1985. Like, I remember seeing this on HBO, like when I was younger. And, you know, it was just in the mix with all the other Hanks movies. It was just sort of 
general viewing in our home. We would rent Tom Hanks films and stuff. So I remember I had seen this before. I remember I loved John Candy because I always loved John Candy and I still think he's pretty good in this. And this is Hanks and Candy again for the second time since Splash. But watching it again this time, man, wow. Like with the, you know, as an adult, having not really paid attention to it in a long time. Like there's a couple moments, but overall, like I just was not feeling it. I mean, you gave it a pretty harsh score on Letterboxd, which I don't think is undeserved because it's not like this movie is great. There's one specific thing in this movie that I adore. When Hanks and his buddy who plays Long... We'll just call him Long Duck Dong because he's from Sixteen Candles. When the two of them read the subtitle from the screen, Mm -hmm. I fell in love with this movie. Like, I don't like the movie outside of that scene that much, but that was my favorite thing. See, there was a moment like that very early on, very Johnny Dangerously very sort of top secret where they show Hanks being chased down the map in the opening when he's racing to the airport and then his car like drives through the map on the screen and I was like holy shit if we're gonna get more of that I'm in but the only other instance of that I could account for was reading the subtitles like it didn't become that parody film Right. I've said, like, I have mixed feelings about it. I'm going to say some unreservedly positive things about this film over the course of the episode. And uh, I just wanted to, like, caveat that beforehand. But, like, there's some really good shit in this movie. Yeah. Like, I'm really fond of, like some of the movies that it's making fun of to an extent, like Bridge on the River Kwai. And I think that like it's it's got a lot of interesting stuff going on in there and whether it coalesces into an actual film kind of remains to be seen, but so many of the individual nuggets from it are very top tier. You know, Hanks is doing a weird sort of kind of Humphrey Bogart-ish voice, and I only call it that because that's what we would call it if Nicolas Cage was doing that voice. Hanks is doing an SNL character. Let's not be generous about this. Joey, he's a total Gatsby, which goes he way back. He is a in Gatsby. Cage Club, yeah. According to IMDb, it's modeled after two things. The writer said a young Bob Hope for his false bravado and style, and he said he did it after George Plimpton, who plays his father in this movie. Who I love. So he was modeling after his character's father, or the actor who plays his character. Like, it's just this complicated, like, just you could just say that you're doing a weird old-timey voice. But also, it's like that classic snobbish voice, right? Like, Muffy, like, come on over by the pool, like, whenever you're ready. Mm -hmm. Like, that kind of thing. Like, you get a lot, so... Yeah. Well, when we sent you the sign-up sheet for Hanks and Cruz, you yes. essentially said, I will do any movie except Rain Man. Oh, yeah. I just I, I, I just don't like Rain Man. So the question is, did you pick this movie or did we pick this one for you? I selected movies that I had not seen or that okay. I liked, but like I, I very much enjoy coming on your family of podcasts to talk about movies that are kind of my first experience doing. So like I had been on High School Slumber Party and I talked about Christine. And, like, I was on the Cruise podcast, which was terrific, talking about, um, again, a movie that I had not seen, Risky Business, that is just, like, again, like, that's a chunk of America that most people who talk or like movies at least know about, that kind of stuff. And so with Hanks, I came in with a very open head just by virtue of the fact that I have not actually, like, there's some stuff in his back catalog that I haven't seen, but I've seen a lot of Hanks. And so this was a total delight because I'm really fond of John Candy. And this movie is so weird and also so, it is relevant, which we'll talk about later. But like, I just thought it was great that I kind of got dealt this card just because this era is a fascinating one for me in film. 
Well, what's weird about early Hanks is that, you know, the reason that Mike and I, and we've talked about this on pretty much every episode, I think, in our sort of growing, not frustration with early Hanks, but... Maybe we, disappointment? We, I don't know. Maybe a little bit. But we, we chose Tom Hanks because we knew that there's like a decade of his movies that are like unimpeachably great. Like, you know, from 93-ish to 2004-ish or somewhere in there, in that ballpark, or maybe even a little bit earlier than that. But he just makes hit after hit. And even if you don't like the movie, they're like the biggest movies of all time. Yeah. And I had remembered the ones I had seen as a kid liking a lot, which revisiting hasn't always been the case either. So, And so we are now nine episodes in here, six movies. This is my second favorite behind Splash. And if like either of them end up anywhere near my top of my favorite Hanks movies, like I will be stunned. They're not bad, but they're just fine. And like, I think the one thing that we're running into a problem with on these movies, and this movie included, is that what was acceptable and funny in the 80s with 2019 glasses is a little bit troubling. Like, there's just a real lot of racism in this movie. There's way too much racism for this to be, like, a great movie anymore, you know? Yes. And, like, how do I know you're lying to an Asian character? Your eyes are becoming more round. And it's like, well, that's, I guess that's a clever joke. I mean, it's a terribly racist joke, but, like, at least I haven't heard that a million times before. But also, you would never make that kind of joke today. Like, it's just little things like that that keep happening. It's like, oh, boy. Like, I know this is 24 years ago or 34 years ago, but, whew. Just extreme stereotypes. Yeah, no, like, all all the racial humor in this sort of tanked it for me, I guess. And that's something that I just, you know, didn't remember you know, as a youth, I guess I just wasn't picking up on it. Or like you said, Joey, it was the 80s. Yeah. Okay, so Walt, let us say some unimp- let, us, let us say some good things about this movie before we get into the bad things about this movie. If you had a favorite moment or scene or line or joke, what was it about Volunteers that you really are going to maybe remember? Like, what was your favorite part of Volunteers? There was a lot of, like, very good script ideas in this. So, for instance, like, John Candy's character is kind of on the plane, is just kind of shown to be, like, a motivational guy who's really into how, you know, it's to talk to people and communicate with people and that classic American salesman horseshit. Like, he reads a book and he understands how to get inside the mind of his fellow man. And then he he goes over and his kind of plot is that there's a number of people who are contending who want this bridge built for various different reasons. We'll get into the rest of them, I'm sure, in a bit. But Candy falls in with effectively the, like, communist group that's operating in the wilderness who would like to use this bridge to help collectivize the entire countryside. And, like, he's just like, I'll never talk. And then, like, Cut two, he's immediately turned into a card-carrying enemy of the American running dogs who are operating within the, like, it's just, like, how easily the flip t- switch turns, and it's just, like, I think it's, like, a pretty elegant satire of, like, oh, yeah, no, this type of guy just exists in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. And so, like, that scene where he basically joins communism on a dime is one of my favorite things in this, just because it's, like, I've seen this happen on Twitter. <laughs> But Twitter is such a healthy place for everybody. How could this happen on Twitter? So I would say that, like, that's the kind of sensibility that I actually really enjoyed out of this. What I like in a related way to that, and it's something that I've seen a lot, but it still made me laugh in here, is when John... The, the the leader, you know, the CIA guy who we don't know is CIA until but maybe two-thirds of the way through the movie or whatever. And he's talking to Rita Wilson and Rita Wilson's like, I can't believe, you know, this Tom Hanks guy, he's such a waste, you know, all this different stuff, right? Like, he, he just yeah. can't do anything, he's not trying, he's just goofing around. And they look down and he's, like, giving this motivational speech to the townspeople, like, we're gonna build a bridge and it's gonna be a great bridge. And, like, it just made me crack up because it's, like, again, similar to the John Candy turning on a dime, it's like Tom Hanks turning on a dime because this is his ticket out of there, right? Like, this is how he's gonna get that $48,000 
dollars in that plane ticket back to America and pay off the mob boss that he owes money or whatever. But I just love that sort of it's it's expected, but it's also that subversion of expectations where it's this Tom Hanks character who shows up and is just doing magic tricks and playing cards with these guys, and then once he has a reason to get out of there or to do something, to do some work, he puts to work his skills, and I'm also glad in a related way that he's not just like this rich kid that isn't good at anything. Like I like that he is able to do things. You know what I mean, Mike? Like he has skills and traits and charisma and the ability to learn languages and all this different stuff that he's not just some rich kid who like is totally in over his head. He's driven and able to, you know, improve upon a situation. Yeah, I mean, he has got a Yale education, right? Like he's mm-hmm. no slouch, really. Like he's just shout out Joe too. <laughs> he's just not motivated. Like he just doesn't want to apply himself. And, you know, his dad was ultimately right. He uh, you know, forced him into a situation in which he's gotta rely on his skills and stuff and you know i doubt he thought he would find all that in the middle of the jungle or anything but there are a lot of good parts of this movie like i really love the part when john candy is just first wandering through the jungle and he meets a tiger like i could just watch john candy and a tiger and him reacting (laughs) to that for like 40 minutes and i also love i think maybe my favorite part throughout the movie is when the one villager who can speak english keeps referring to tom hanks as asshole or dickhead or just like you know he never really calls him by his name but he's just like yo asshole I don't know. I was really laughing at those <laughs> moments. So, Mike, was one of those your favorite moment, or what was your favorite moment in the movie? Um, yeah, I, probably that. Probably Tom Hanks' character being referred to as dickhead most of the movie by that guy, <laughs> and just everything I guess John Candy was doing in general. Missed that guy. Wish he, you know, had made a couple more flicks. But what we got is pretty good like he's never the problem in any of these old movies yeah and like i feel like his kind of character in this movie could very easily be overused and become annoying but he's not overused you know what i mean he's mm-hmm. in it enough that we would know who he is and what he's doing we see that sort of you know like well like what was saying before that growth and that change but he's not the annoying stereotype that he otherwise could be if he's in this movie for another 20 minutes or half an hour so i, I appreciated that i'm assuming my favorite moment is the the reading of the subtitles but i also like at the end that just from off screen like a monkey jumps into Rita Wilson's arms and she spends the rest of the movie just holding the yes, monkey. Yes. Like, I don't know where the monkey... I, I rewound it because I was like, did that monkey... And just like, the monkey jumps from off screen into her arms and then she just holds it. And I was like, oh, just chilling with the monkey as Hanks is blowing up the bridge. Like, I love that. Like, I don't know why that happens at all, but I love it. No, but the thing is, like, that monkey extremely obviously did not jump. It was very obviously, like, tossed by the key grip into her hands, which is my favorite part of that. Now, Walt, on the other side of the coin, let's curb racism. Like, let's... I mean, that's that's a weird way of saying. Let's table the obvious racism that makes us all unhappy about this movie. Yes, because that is without uh, without a doubt, I think all of our least favorite part of the movie. But aside from that, is there something about here that like doesn't? I mean, not that it's a perfect movie, but like, what's your least favorite part? What don't you like about Volunteers? Yeah, totally. I think that just to kind of give a, a bird's eye view of the plot, like these guys were sent here by the Peace Corps to build a bridge over a dedicated, like a very important strategic point. There are three people interested in this bridge. One is the aforementioned communists. One is the local CIA branch who wants to roll out to beat up those aforementioned communists. And the third group is this, this like, again, like drug den, like this drug empire, so to speak, right? And the drug lord doesn't work for me as well. I like, I can totally see why that character existed. Like a couple years before this movie, you had like the deer hunter, right? And so you can, like, there's absolutely 
like this trope that exists of just like, ah, yes, the opium dealer. And the idea is that this character, and it's not even the character because we can set aside the, uh, we we agreed to set aside some stuff. The plot line doesn't work for me as well or as elegantly as the CIA one and the communist one. And I don't like the weird kidnapping thing that happens with the CIA. Like that plot kind of starts to fall apart towards the end of the movie. And that was just like, that's kind of like a, a like a tactical gripe. But I feel yeah. like a lot of the different components of that part, did, like the assassin totally didn't work for me. Like even, even I get like going for the weird like Bond-esque assassin with a gimmick thing. It just, that didn't necessarily do it for me like some of the other parts did. It's not like there's too much going on in this movie. It's just, it, it almost at times feels like there's too much going on. Like maybe if they had cut one of those things, they could have made the other two better. That Not that everything doesn't work well, but yeah. because you have sort of three main thrusts as you were describing, there's just a lot to sort of keep track of and, you know, make each memorable in a way that makes make them stand out from the rest in a, in a certain way. Like, oh, this is the John Candy part, or this is the CIA part, or this is the, you know, assassin with long nails. And it's a lot of balls to keep in the air, which is unfortunate use a phrase to use, Mike, because there's no juggling in this movie. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very long movie, too, I will say, uh, like, on that point. like Yeah, this should have been, like, a 90-minute movie. Yes, and, and it's, like, 20 minutes longer than that. Yeah. And I think that, like, there's a lot going on here. I, I took a break 50 minutes in to get dinner, and I was like, oh, I've only got, like, half an hour left, and I was like, oh, no, I have an hour left. Like, I have so much more of this movie, and, you know, I think my favorite chunk, and not sort of specific reasons, but I think my favorite part of this movie kind of is the middle. Like, I think there's fun in the opening, and I think there's enjoyment to be had there, but I think the movie really gets going once Hanks gets going, once his character starts building that bridge, and I really like that part there. So I don't think it lags in the middle, it's just that there's, there's just a lot like it just there's a lot of there's a lot of plot here and i don't know that there necessarily needs to be it felt to me like it was spending a lot of time on stuff like it's not necessarily that there was like a whole lot of stuff going on but it's like the opening card scene goes on forever like the casino scene in the middle goes on forever like the date with rita wilson kind of goes you know like it just feels like the interrogation with the drug lord like it just goes on and on and on like at least that's how it felt like the kidnapping didn't need to like that that could have been lickety split like that didn't have to be as expensive as a set piece as it was yeah and I, and I think back to like how funny and how quick and the timing of how John Candy is turned right and it's all done in a cut like one minute you see him yeah. like I'm never going to surrender and then like cut <laughs> and he's like whatever you want whatever you say we must drive the capitalist running dogs from the countryside. Like, it's great. It's so good. The People's Army. Like, all that stuff. <laughs> like, so the pacing, I think, might be my least favorite part of the movie, Joey, is just, like, they knew that they could shorten It seemed like they knew they could shorten it. Like, there was the, the opportunity to create maybe more jokes out of the momentum of the film, you know? And instead, it just kind of felt like it got stuck in quicksand every once yeah. in a while, you know, and started to drag here and there, and I and it was just maybe that, on top of everything, was uh, disengaging me at moments from the stuff, where I was just like, come on, like, I get it. Like, <laughs> he loves to play cards. Like, what other kind of uh, illicit things does he do, though? Not many, you know? He's just really into gambling, but it could have been funny if he was, like, brewing his own liquor or other kinds of stuff, but... So, I think I'll go with that. Yeah, I agree. You know, I don't know, aside from, like, racism aside, I'm trying to think of, like, there's not a lot about this movie that really stands out as something that I don't love. Not that I love it, but it's just sort of it's all fine. I think what you guys both said are both really good examples of, you know, ways that we could improve this, ways that, you know, it could be better and quicker and breezier watch. So I don't, I don't, I don't have anything really constructive to add here. I do have a question, though. His last name is Born. Is this a prequel to the Born Identity? <laughs> 
all the same way. He does have uh, some some experience working with the CIA in a tight role, so I don't know. Because <laughs> obviously in the first Born movie, Born Identity, uh, Matt Damon wakes up without a memory, and he is sort of like a kind of a James Bondy kind of spy-ish. And Hanks in that smoking jacket or the dinner jacket that he's wearing kind of looks like Bond. Maybe yeah. maybe this is the same character. Who knows? Or is his dad or something? Or uh, what I'm thinking is like this: the CIA like they took this persona and like identity and put it in a file <laughs> so that one day it could be you know a covert sort of yep. alias yep. for one of their yep. agents in the field <laughs> that's definitely what happened like lawrence born the third could be the father of jason born the first and i, I like the, the cia guys love recruiting from the waspies uh, you know they were on the Mayflower, yeah. and they're not going to flip to the Russians, you know? Exactly. The first of his name, Jason of the Borns. I do like how this movie, I don't say that I like it, I just think it's a weird choice that sort of tickled me a little bit. That The way the movie ends is that Tom Hanks writes a letter to his dad, and he's just like, I'm going to become a drug lord here. Oops, did I say drugs? I mean, I'm just going to run this town. And it's like, oh, it feels like the, they didn't know how to end the movie. Like, the bridge explodes, he falls in love with Rita Wilson, how do we give a happy ending? Oh, he can just write a letter to his dad. But it never... Maybe this is my least favorite thing. It never feels like there's any relation, true relation, to who he was before he went down there. That, like, we spend a fair amount of time at Yale, where he's gambling, where he's playing poker, where he's with Bootsy, where it's him and his roommate, and him at graduation, him at commencement, whatever. There's a lot of time there for, like, that to mean absolutely nothing. All it means is that he needs to find a way to get money to pay this mob boss off. Although, it feels like the guy's not going to come to Thailand for $24,000. It feels like he's safe. Like, it just feels like there's, like, I like that there's a little bit of a bow put on the end there that, like, hey, like, we're going to wrap things up by saying I'm never going to go back to my life. But at the same time, it sort of feels like that was unnecessary in terms of the story. I completely disagree with you here because this is my favorite thing about this movie. Oh, Okay. I love how it's like some of that like early Seinfeld shit where it's just like nobody learns lessons, nobody gets better, we're the same crappy people at the beginning of the episode as we are at the end of the episode. There's no hugging. What I love about it is that this this movie was like written by the moderators of the neoliberal subreddit. Like it's it's just <laughs> it's perfect. Like this guy comes in, learns nothing, and decides to do the exact like he wants to run a gambling house in another country. It's like it knows its character so well because like this Yale schmuck wouldn't grow over the course of this experience. True. He would just kind of see a new angle. Like, the idea is that, like, he's not presented as a... Like, what did he learn? There was no lesson to learn over the course of the movie. He didn't, like, try and fail and, like, learn a valuable thing about the values of perseverance. He just, like, got by and then increasingly found that, oh, no, I just got to work for myself because the other three people who want me to do this stuff are not going to back me. And so he just, like, tripled down on himself and then, like, recruited these other Peace Corps people to do it and just opened a bar. I just left the fidelity to the characters that they didn't feel the need to, like make him learn a lesson, because that exact type of dude would not. <laughs> it's kind of sitcom in that way, right? And I guess, you know, Hanks has a lot of history with sitcoms in that, like, for the most part, characters start the episode and end the episode in the same place, because if you have growth, I mean, there are shows that have growth, like, you know, BoJack or whatever, but I feel like for the most part, like, there's through lines, but the characters are pretty much the same at the beginning as they are at the end. And in that way, this is sort of like that. Like, they have a lot of wacky misadventures and then wind up exactly where they started with just like a, they could almost be a volunteers too, where it's now I'm running this. And then he has like, that all falls apart. He has to go to a different country and does the same thing or whatever. So I agree. I think those are all very good points, Walt. I just, I, I like that you put that into 
context for me or that gave me reason to enjoy that because I like how goofy the ending feels and I, I now appreciate the perspective of this guy would never learn anything. So I, I, I do like that. And again, I think that that might be a shout out. This movie was very inspired by Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. If not inspired by them, like Rich Boy goes to other country and then makes them, like tries to put his mark on there and that kind of stuff down to the blowing up a bridge in order to prevent a larger scale conflict kind of thing, right? And like those movies end with like the characters growing and changing and being influenced by the people. But like this dumb idiot doesn't learn Jack. Like he just learns that other people can cheat at poker too. There's one scene in particular here that people had problems with, not racism problems with, but problems with when the movie came out. Can either of you pinpoint what scene people might have been like, it feels a little weird. A lot of this movie feels a little weird. That's very true. Good point. The scene I'm referring to is volunteers brought to you by Coca-Cola. Oh yeah. That there's that scene. So there's, there's the top trivia on IMDb. This is a long thing. So let me read this. So there was mild controversy. So basically maybe like there was one article written about it or something. Someone at Pepsi got mad. (laughs) Um, So TriStar made this movie, which is a division of Columbia, which was owned at the time by Coca-Cola. And so apparently they were releasing around this time, like VHS copies of like Ghostbusters with an advertisement for Coke on the actual tape. So like Coke was everywhere at this time. Not that Coke has really gone away, but Coke was really everywhere at this time. And so the screenwriter, Ken Levine, wrote into the story that she wanted to get a Coke and then it stayed through every version, wound up at the screen. No one at TriStar, no one at Columbia, no one at Coca-Cola asked them to do it. But then once it came out, people were like, wait a minute, why is this because, is this the only reason this movie got made because of Coca-Cola or whatever? Because in the movie, it's like, oh, I sure could use a Coke. I'm going to stay for that Coke. I want original Coke. This tastes so good. Mm, Coca-Cola. It's the most, it's like what reminds her of America. She goes, oh, like it tastes like America or something. And he says the perfect little button on this quote from the screenwriter says, it just would have been so much easier if we just offered her a joint. Instead of like a Coke, just like, hey, you want to smoke a little weed? And she's like, oh, I'll stay for that. But instead, you know, just I want that sweet, sweet Coca-Cola. And it feels it feels like a commercial in the middle of the movie, but it's not, apparently. It's just a joke. It plays better knowing that it was a joke, you know, and that's more, I guess, of the comedy I was expecting, you know, and maybe that's why I didn't buy it. As a, That's why it felt like a commercial to me, because there wasn't as much of that as I was expecting throughout the movie. Like, it, it was just, you know, it was more straight than that for the most part. But now I think that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> At the time, I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> But I love I love it now. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie after that story. Oh, it was nice to see George Plimpton in a movie. I like that guy a lot. What would I know him from? I know that he's famous. Like, I know the name, but I don't know, yeah. like, what has he been in? Or what, what would I know him from? He's not, like, an actor. I mean, I'm sure that he's been in other stuff. George Plimpton was a writer. His shtick, and, like, again, like, I have a, a, an enormous amount of fondness for this, was, like, he went out and did stuff. Like, he, he did a round of boxing with Sugar Ray, and, like, he, like, he's a journalist who did the experiential journalism kind of thing. Kind of like Hunter S. Thompson-y? Um, yes. I mean, like, again, I believe that they were, if not colleagues at times, then, like, they were aware of each other. But, like, he was even more so than Hunter S. Thompson. He, like, he tried out for the NFL as a kicker kind of thing. And, like, he, he did the kind of, he did bullfighting. Like, he, he was the guy who did a thing and then would write the article about, here's what it feels like to do this thing, uh, and, like, learn by doing. It, it wasn't so much Gonzo where, like, you would experience the Kentucky Derby by going to the Kentucky Derby. Plimpton was very much like you experienced the Kentucky Derby by, like, riding a horse to the Kentucky Derby. And so he's, like, as a, as a journalist, like, he's great like he has a lot of fascinating about him and like he was just one of those like ultra 
patrician types like again he spoke like he speaks in the movie and he is this waspy fellow which i imagine is why he kind of got uh recruited into the role but like i'm trying to think if there's like other stuff that he has been in that you would like recognize he's probably cameoed in a ton of shit honestly like he's just that guy so by auditioning or whatever, trying out for Madden, you're kind of a modern-day George Plimpton. Is that what you're saying? That's an extremely kind thing to say, and yes, I will absolutely <laughs> take that. But, like, no, when I was doing that, I, like, my idea was, like, you should read some George Plimpton, and I did. And I was like, okay, this is a very good idea. Like, this is a good prep on how to do this kind of thing, you know? I absolutely studied a bunch of him before I wrote that story, and, like, I was clearly going for— Oh, he cameoed in Goodwill Hunting as a psychologist. Oh, okay. I feel like he was in a Rodney Dangerfield movie, but I do not know remember the name of it and cannot I might be wrong on that because I know like how like Kurt Vonnegut had appeared in one of the like he's that kind of guy where like if he popped into a movie in the eighties or nineties, you'd be like, Oh shit, is that George Plant? Like I like that. So he's apparently got thirty four acting credits. He was just, like, rich and did stuff and, like, started a magazine. And I have a ton of... He, there's a great Jonathan Colton song about him that makes me cry. Um, it's a very, Wait, very song? cool thing. It's a Talk With George. Oh, I don't know that one. I know... Yeah. I feel like I know a lot of Jonathan Colton, and I look at how much work he's put out there. Like, oh, I don't know a lot of anything, because it's like, he's got yeah. so many songs, but I know... Uh, I don't listen to that one. It's from, like, Thing of Weekdays, I believe. So, like, way back then. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, so I... Yeah, okay. So I mean, I've probably heard it at one point, but I don't know it. Um, yeah. He will be back. George Plimpton will be on our other Tom Tom show, Mike. He'll be in the Bonfire of the Vanities as Wellwisher. So, again, <laughs> probably a, a small part. This movie opened in second place at the box office behind a little movie you guys might have heard of, Back to the Future. Oh. In its seventh week at the box office, still was number one. Wow, that movie takes place in the 55, and this is in 62. What was going on with period piece comedies back in the in 85 <laughs> i feel like it's just all the time right like there's how many you know 90s tv shows and stuff now and 90s movies like it's just we're always hungry for whatever was 20 years ago 25 years ago 10 million dollar budget made just about 20 domestic so you figure marketing it probably just about broke even but like we said the important thing tom hanks and rita wilson fell in love and yeah. volunteers is a footnote. It's like, it's probably, a, it's honestly maybe been a Jeopardy question. I'm actually going to check the J archive right now. <laughs> Mike, is there anything else about volunteers you want to talk about before we play our games? It was good to see Hanks and Candy again. Uh, it's too bad they don't go on to make, like, a lot of movies together. Like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, David Spade and, you know, Chris Farley. Like, I feel like Hanks and Candy could have become, like a, like, a marketable comedy duo at some point in the 80s but I guess you know they just no one was really thinking about that at the time but I like them here together uh, I love that he that him and Rita fell in love while making this movie it's volunteers like it's just another like one of those early Hanks comedies that isn't as good as I remember when I watched it as a kid which is just <laughs> like a disappointment you know and like I wasn't necessarily expecting to love it the way I used to or anything but I was certainly expecting to like it more than I did we just got to get to some better material soon <laughs> i'm really glad that we're also offsetting this with the tom cruise stuff because his shit has been amazing <laughs> i know <laughs> this movie shot in thailand it shot in venezuela and it shot at yale new haven so this is back in the days where like you didn't double a hollywood backlot or canada for everything you actually went to thailand and you went to venezuela and you went to new haven connecticut 
Um, and actually, <laughs> before we get to your final thoughts, Walt, before we go to the games, Volunteers has been mentioned at least... So I, I searched Rita Wilson on J Archive. Uh, so she's been six clues in the history of Jeopardy, and Volunteers has been named in three of those. Whoa. So Ooh. in 1988, for $500 in the people category, in 1988, this big star married Rita Wilson, his co-star, in the 1985 film Volunteers. And then in 2002, I Married a Star, $200. Rita Wilson worked with him filming Volunteers in 1985, and volunteered to marry him three years later. What? <laughs> and then in 2014, in Celebrity Marriages for 600, he met Rita Wilson on the set of Bosom Buddies. The pair reconnected, making the 1985 movie Volunteers. And then there's a couple hmm. more, but it's basically all about who is Tom Hanks. He met Rita Wilson on the set of this movie. So it's cool. Like, that's... I love the J Archive. Shout out James Holzhauer. Uh, this episode comes out in a week and a half, but I have no doubts that he will still be steamrolling uh, poor chumps across America. Wild. Michael, who hosts uh, Not Her Again, the podcast that I, who I believe you guys might have tried to recruit for a future podcast. He will be on future episodes, absolutely. Yeah, I heard, I, he mentioned something about uh, the Fast and the Furious ones, and I was just like, oh, that's a choice. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, I, I met, just side note before we get into the Michael stories, that I, I messaged him, I was like, hey, you know, Walt did our Too Fast, Too Forever podcast, do you want to do this? Yeah. He's like, I've never seen even a clip from these movies. No, He's never. like, if you don't, if you don't mind an amateur i was like cool watch the first one we'll, we'll let you know what you think so we're gonna find out lap four episode oh. one michael tomanico lap four episode one the fast and furious finding out what somebody who's never seen any of the movies thinks about the fast and furious okay so you were saying about michael yes so he's a big fan of jeopardy and he's just like i don't always watch it but just like this guy's just been like blowing a hole through jeopardy it's fascinating to watch i've just been reading because there have been a lot of really good stories because like ken jennings is obviously picking up the phone and talking a little bit of the goss right yep and like i've just loved whenever like people who are really into jeopardy are just like finally somebody pulled this off nobody ever did this before. like it's just great like he's, I love he's going to be a fixture for ages or he's going to completely bottom out by betting too much three times in a row. I thought a lot about this and Mike, you can cut out as much of this as you, as little no, as you man. want. I mean, I had a whole, when he, when he started his streak, I had a whole theory about how like he owed money to the mob and they pulled strings to get him on the show and oh. they're betting on him in Vegas left and right. <laughs> like My mind went on a dream. Maybe. <laughs> that would be, that would be awesome. That's the movie that I want to see. Like I want, I want the Theranos story about that story, Mike. I want to see the podcast about that. That. I want to see the documentary. I want to see the yeah. feature film adaptation. I want to see the Hulu series all about <laughs> James Holzhauer and the, the puppet strings behind the scenes. Oh, man. But he's a tour de force because he's good at like he like it's tough to have somebody who's like that willing to roll the bones on like a weird strategy on Jeopardy and also like has the chops to back it up. So it's very cool to watch. <laughs> Like, he's only going to lose when he gets a double Jeopardy wrong and then gets a final Jeopardy wrong. Yeah. I don't think people are going to know more than he does. Um, and if they do, Mazel tov, you beat the best. He's batting 97%. The thing is, like, if he's got, like, that means to get all three wrong, assuming that's the same the whole time, like, there's probably, like, a like a 10% chance of that. Like, like the odds that you get all three right every time are, like, 90% if you're batting 97%. I don't know. I'm fascinated by it. It's it's incredible. Um, so, Walt, what about you? Any final thoughts about Volunteers before we ask some really goofy questions about this movie? Any final thoughts about Volunteers? I would not recommend people go out and watch this if they get a chance. I'd recommend perhaps they watch some clips of it, but, like, I don't know if necessarily this is a movie that you need to throw a couple dollars at YouTube for. But in general, like, I think it's wild. I think, like, it's... It's, like, got some deeply funny moments in it. It's got some stuff that does not even remotely hold up, but 80s Hollywood for you. But, again, like, the neoliberal subreddit wrote this movie, and I cannot be dissuaded <laughs> of the fact. 
I love that reading of it now. Like that's yes. so great because then you go if I mean not that anyone should go watch this again, but if you were too, you can trace how he's just doing everything for himself by for his yes. own advantage. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, he's just like go to another country, make a bunch of money, hang out. Everybody's better off in the end. It's just like it's wild. I love it. Very cool. So now uh, I want to break your brain a little bit. You you probably know what's coming because we play this on risky business. If Tom Cruise were in the leading role here in Volunteers, what would this movie look like? I'll let you go first, Walt, if you have an idea. Interesting question. I think, so at the time that this movie was released, I think that Tom Cruise is is a considerably larger star than Tom Hanks. Is that about right? Yeah. He's coming off of, like, a Scorsese film. He's doing Color of Money, Top Gun. So metagame, this would destroy Tom Cruise's career. Um, (laughs) At that point, like, the idea is, like, if he had backed up Top Gun with this picture, we would not have Tom Cruise anymore. But how would the movie be different? Well, honestly, like, this question is is fucking with the time stream for me, because, like, what if Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson never got to get? Like, I don't... Yeah, no, I think uh, this movie, he kind of does something similar to this later in life with American Made. So, like, he's done the flick where he's an amoral asshole who does illegal stuff in order to gain personal things in developing countries and so like i think that like he's got it in him he'll kind of hit it later but i really do think that this would have a messed with the time stream so much that i that i don't care to think about it too hard and b would have absolutely destroyed tom cruise's career yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, last Cruise Club, Mike, we had Greg McClendon on, and he was saying about how Tom Cruise basically decided, I'm only going to make great movies now. Like, I feel yeah. like he just wouldn't have accepted this. And I also feel like it's it's another one of these movies where I don't know, it's hard to, I think it's hard to judge in retrospect, like, how much of the movie was made for Tom Hanks to be charming, and how much Tom Hanks being charming is, like, the stand-up part. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if, if his charm stands out here when it does, because that's, like, the best part of the movie, or because that's what they're like let's just make a movie where he's out in the jungle he's not a huge star now but he's been in enough stuff that people know what he can do right and so it's i think it's hard to figure out in retrospect like yeah i think the issue that you're gonna find is that like tom cruise's movies from this era will age far better than tom hanks's just because yes. inherently comedy doesn't age super well if an action movie is a good action movie it'll hold up forever explosions don't look any different now than they did in 85 and so at yep. the end of the day it's like and even then with the practical effects they probably look even better honestly yeah so yeah. i don't know i think that in general it, it's not going to be super shocking to me that these movies don't age as well as the cruise ones of this era just by virtue of the fact that hanks is still kind of in that comedy zone whereas like just a, a short while later once he starts doing a little bit more action or at least what it like i don't even know if apollo 13 is action but like you know what i mean but like right. i think that his movies start becoming more timeless the further they step away from being kind of 80s comedies yeah no i think you know i think that there's we're entering sort of an era where it's not necessarily timeless comedies and we'll see because i i've only seen these movies once mike or if if at all but like the money pit and big and joe versus the volcano where they're they're comedies that hold up because i feel like they're kind of weirder or less problematic i don't know i've only seen those movies once each so i don't know if that's necessarily true two out of three of those are like more fantasy right so right plays into it a little better well high concept age is decent compared to like just inherent you know like a high concept like bruce almighty like i haven't watched that fucker in a while but like that seems to kind of pop out a little better than some of the more contemporary comedies of its day just by virtue of the fact like oh it's a weird concept like liar liar like those movies like oh it's a vaguely fantasy concept in a decent like big age is great because big is the, all the comedy of big is like oh it, it's like very specific, it's of or related to its concept it's not like punching down at another race yeah it reminds yep. me why in the 80s there were so many of those body swap comedies right like yeah. those, <laughs> like either a 
son and father would switch minds or a mom and a freaky friday right like it just it kicked off so many clones and big is a quasi sort of yeah. freaky friday thing uh he doesn't yeah. switch bodies with anyone but he becomes older it also led to one of my favorite comedy bang bang phrases uh reverse big situation um, <laughs> which is in theaters now that movie little yeah little is a reverse yeah. big situation uh, mike what about you what if tom cruise was in this movie how would this play out all i can think of because oh man all i could think of was uh what if vince from risky business like finally met his match and like owed like a million or something and you know Ooh, we're yeah. talking like 1987 or six or something the only thing you could do is like jump on a plane join the peace <laughs> corps and fly halfway across the world to some jungle where he builds a bridge and just like teaches everyone how to play pool and like wins over the local <laughs> warlord by teaching them like trick shots and you know every, everything yeah. just becomes a big sort of party a la risky business i like it i think if we're doing cruise i, I just think that like when you're putting him in the middle of the jungle with the cia around him i don't see how he doesn't go taps level intense and i think that this movie ends in a horrifically different situation where instead of like he probably stays over there but he becomes part of like he sort of has like a vietnam style like mental dissociation from his world the world around him oh almost like an apocalypse now yes yeah i think that's that's what happens like we sort of get to the point where like he can still be you know can still the, the intro and he Know, graduates and whatever and 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 is on the run and gets over there and then something just kind of breaks in his brain and he falls in with the wrong crowd or whatever like i think the last half or you know third or whatever of this movie is wildly different um and not at all a comedy but that's sort of the, that's kind of the vibe that tom cruise is giving in these movies are you suggesting that he becomes the walter kurtz of the peace corps yeah <laughs> like... Oh, I was thinking he was just, like, getting drunk and punching mirrors, like, dancing in his bedroom. <laughs> oh, I thought that he would be the Brando of it. <laughs> but that works, too. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. All of those things happening. So now, Walt, next question. If you were go, if you, if you go back in time, before you and I were born, we are now on the set of Volunteers. We want to walk on roll into Volunteers. Uh, how would you stand Lee yourself in this movie? Where would you put yourself? In what scene, walk on roll, small part, bit part, where are you in Volunteers? I would be on the plane. Okay. I would be, like, the uh, flight attendant. Um, again, like, all these goddamn hippies going out wet. Like, I would definitely, like, that's that, that scene, like, seems like a particular type of hell that I would enjoy being a part of, uh, where they're all just, like, <laughs> singing kumbaya shit up there. No, they're singing Puff the Magic Dragon. They are singing Puff the Magic Dragon, That's yeah. a choice. But I don't know. I, like, I can't think of uh, too many things. That are like, gambling. But beyond that, it seems like a weird movie to self-insert into. I would put myself, I think, into the commencement scene somewhere, like just like a graduate who's next to Tom Hanks or something. Or I think so. We hear Tom Cruise, and this is also very nitpicky, but it's also it's on IMDb. It's it's incorrect, but I also want to point out that in what world is an NBA Finals game happening where it's so bright out at Yale on the East Coast that you can listen <laughs> to it presumably in the morning? And none of that tracks. None of that adds up. But I would sort of put myself in as he's listening to you know his, his $14,000 bet. He loses that, and then he gets his diploma and goes down the stairs, and he's so depressed because his life is over because he owes this guy $28,000. I want to be the guy behind him and, like, over overjoyed that I graduated <laughs> from Yale and just like just contrasting with Tom Hanks, you know, dour disposition. Now, Mike, I have I know I know who you're going to I know who you have to be, Mike. It's it's obvious. Do you know the answer? No, wait, what? Who? Who am I? <laughs> so John, the CIA guy, 
His knife is named Mike. <laughs> I think I'm you have to be it. the knife. I'm the knife. I'm You're Mike the knife. The knife. I love it. Yes, because I was actually struggling trying to think of a role to play here, but yeah. It's just a knife with your face on it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Because it's weird when people name inanimate objects, but then for it to be named Mike, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't the joke be Mac? Like, it's Mac the knife, right? <laughs> Isn't it? I don't know. I don't, but I don't, I don't know, man. That guy's clearly not right in the head, so who knows? We have an email address here on the show, hanks at cageclub.me. If you want to let us know that you're listening, let us know what your favorite Hanks movies are. You can also check out our Patreon page and our Thread the Shop all over at cageclub.me. Now, the last question before we get into the awards, and I think the answer is no, and I think Walt's explanation before of why he likes this movie is the reason why no, but I'll ask both of you now. Does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sets him on the path to becoming America's dad? <laughs> no. Well, it's not in the movie, but he does meet his wife, and he True. will, and he, Ooh. and, uh, I mean, I guess he already is a father in real life, but I mean, you know, he'll go on to, you know, be a father again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So it's not, it's kind of a cheat, but in this movie, no, not his character. Walt, do you agree or do you disagree? That's a brilliant idea, and I like it, and like, because there's literally nothing in this movie that makes Lawrence America's dad. No. But like... I think that he's got to be that, like this is this is a pretty formative component of it, right? You know, like you know, actually, I you know what? Let's let's actually walk this back. I don't <laughs> necessarily think that this is the movie that makes Tom Hanks America's dad. I do think it's the movie. Well, at the very least, it's the movie that makes um, you know Rita Wilson, Colin Hanks' stepmom. So. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, so I'm gonna say no or not on screen. Okay. Very cool. Um, so let's go to the awards, whatever they're going to be called. Maybe the Golden Volleyballs. I think it might be just the Golden Lassos is kind of cool. Guys, like the, why not the Woody? Why not the Woody? The Woody. The, the Woody? We can just call oh, the Woody. Oh, yeah. They should yeah. just be the, the And the Woody call. goes, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great call, Walt. All right. I was overthinking. I was just thinking the Golden Lassos, but I just had to think bigger. All right. Best film, worst film. I'm going to say neither. I think it's sort of, it's closer down the middle. Like it's maybe closer to bad than good. Best or worst role again? Nope. I like it. I wish maybe he was in a different movie, this character. So (laughs) what I'm going to say is the next category is most wasted performance. I mean, not even that, I'd say. It's not that it's even wasted. I guess I just want to see this character again in a different movie. Again, this is a very like SNL style movie. Like even the CIA guy feels like the Bill Hader, like, Grenada guy, like I don't like I don't even know any like it's it's not really a well like thought out role or movie so I don't know if it really any of those pop out to me you know best ensemble I'm gonna say it's not an ensemble on the level of bosom buddies but there's a lot of cool background characters like I like as racist as it is I like the kid who plays Long Duck Dong I like his his yeah. role in this movie I like John Candy but I don't know if I want to nominate this for best ensemble knowing that we're probably going to nominate stuff like Apollo. Uh, 13 and Toy Story and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Best fight? What fight? Yeah. No, nothing. I mean, so far, nothing's going to beat that fight in uh, Bachelor Party. Unfortunately, it's in Bachelor Party, but I mean, that fight at the end of the movie is great. Is there a dance scene or a party scene? There's the bar scene, like where he doesn't, do they dance after after he uh, he gives her the Coke? Yeah, not memorable enough to nominate, though, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Best outfit or wardrobe for him? I'm going to say no. You know, like his dinner jacket? Nah, 
She's like, I love your tuxedo. Actually, it's just a dinner jacket. (laughs) (laughs) He does not die, so there's nothing best death. Best line or best freak out? The pull quote for this is just, I like when he wakes up in his first morning there, steps out of his hut, falls in the big puddle, and just says, oh, right, Thailand. But I don't think that's, like, you know, supremely memorable. I just enjoyed it within the the scope of the scene. But is there there a line or a freak out here? Does IMDb, like, even list any lines that pop out here? No. Doesn't seem like it spawned any catchphrases. Um, best soundtrack or theme? No. Okay, now here's here's an important thing. Best love story, worst love story. Do you want to nominate him and Rita Wilson because it's it's a love story that transcended the movie? That's a good argument. I do, when you put it that way. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Yeah, I think that works. You're not going to like run out of best love stories, but he's also not like a huge romantic lead after a certain point. Like, there's a point where Tom Hanks no longer is a sexual organism. And at a certain point there, like, you're going to kind of run out of character opportunities to do Best Love Story. Besides, like, him and his and Catherine Graham, comma, his boss. Like, so <laughs> it's smart to kind of bank a few of these early on. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, most badass role, no. And then the only other thing we have is Best Non-Hanks Actor, Male or Female. Do you want to nominate either Rita Wilson or John Candy or someone else in this movie for their performance? Did we nominate John Candy for Splash? No, we only nominated... So the only people we have so far is Peter Scolari as Henry in Bosom Buddies and Daryl Hannah as Madison in Splash. Oh, okay. All right. That's not a great lineup so far. So, like, is this one of those situations where, like, once you get five, you'll start, like, dropping a few out and adding new ones in? Yeah, I think so. Because we sort of nominate a bunch and then sort of cull it down at the end, too. Yeah, I mean, like, he's no Buzz Lightyear, but, I mean... Right. Um, we'll, we'll We'll throw John Candy in Volunteers. That's fine. And we can always come back to it. So, yeah, so volunteers, two things, best love story and best non-Hanks actor, male. We did it, guys. We talked about volunteers. Any other last thoughts about this movie that I will probably never see again? Nope. This was my last remaining experience with the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for bringing it into my life. I really appreciate it. Like, I like being exposed to these weird things that occurred to Tom Hanks. Of course. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this side of the Tom Tom Club. You will be back for big in about three or four movies. So we're excited to have you back there. Five movies from now. Oh, my God. So a little bit of a better, I think, Hanks movie, but we'll see. But why don't you let people know about Numlock News, which is, uh, again, I will say it again, the only newsletter, aside from the one that my boss writes, that I subscribe to. Yeah, and and thank you for for reading. So Numlock is a daily morning brief. It will make you smile on your commute. It will, um, I know that a lot of news out there, for one reason or another, is an unending hellscape. And I strive to cover stories that are not being covered as much and are very interesting and cool. And so you can find that at like, on the key on the keyboard, like numlock.substack.com, or you can just go to numlock.news. It's a fun one. Give it a shot. And I'm having a good time with it. And again, it's always a pleasure to be on here with you guys. And I may as well plug because we're doing a bunch of the recording now, but the uh, Not Her Again, which again is Michael DeManico's uh, operation, is launching its newest miniseries somewhat, sometime soon. Uh, we've done Meryl Streep, we've done Julia Roberts, and now he, he decided to take the plunge and do the one and only Catherine Hepburn. So it's a bit of a kind of a, a back-in-time one. Wow, okay. So like, it's, again, we're in the middle of the recording. I do not know when it's actually going to come out, but it's it's absolutely potentially of interest. Again, like Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Catherine Hepburn, Burn. They all just uh, in the same sentence roll over. But yeah, um, I would say give that a shot if you like movies and podcasts and enjoyed me on this one. I'm also wondering when he's going to take the real plunge and do the actress whose Twitter name he has taken. You know what I mean? Like, when yeah. will he become Kate Blanchett is the question. 
Great question. He is Kate Blanchett. He might do that. So one reason, again, that I'm sure that there's going to be a bonus episode in this season where he takes a look at Kate Blanchett playing Catherine Hepburn, which is oh, sort of yes. just like right down the middle in the aviator. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. If one of you guys is interested, by all means, reach out. I think that he's trying to look for guests for a few of the episodes to come, but it'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, Kate Blanchett, I would love to do that. She's great. Mike, is that the aviator starring a serious actor turned comedic actor turned serious actor again, Adam Scott? Oh, that's absolutely right. Yes, it is. <laughs> by all means. He is in that movie. Well, for all things Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club and everything else that we've got here going on on the network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon and threadless links at cageclub.me. And so next week is Cocktail on Cruise Club, but come back in two weeks for the Money Pit here on Hanks for the Memories. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Walt Hickey of Numlock News, and we'll see you in two weeks for the Money Pit, right here on on Hanks for the Memories. Oh, yes. Thailand.